1: you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out midwayusa.com.
2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Real Down. I'm your host, Jimmy Skinner. With me, as always now, Mr. Garrett Johnson. See, I did it already. I uh... went the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. Man, I got it right. All already messing way. it up. Oh, well. Well, what's up? How you doing, man? How's work?
3: Uh, just the same old, same
2: old. I'm getting doing as much as I can in as many hours of the day as I can. Yeah, uh, Garrett doesn't realize it yet, but his fishing career is going to be slowing down a lot with his yeah. new job and life and being married and getting yeah, doing all the things at once. Yeah. Well, uh you uh got a little announcement for yourself, don't you? You're working with another new company since last time we talked. Uh yeah, so I started
3: working with a rod company that I just picked up a couple of days ago. Uh they're called Trika Rods. Uh they kind of got me with that gimmicky kind of, I guess. Instagram targeted ad and I tried a couple of their rods out and I actually really like them. So, um,
2: and they're, they're not, they're not cheap rods. These are no. this is, they're, he says gimmicky. On the high time you think of like, you know, cheap. These are, they're freaking nice. And he's given up. Oh God. What were you using? Daiwa. Uh,
3: I, I use mainly the mega bass. Levante oh, that's right. Series rods. Uh,
2: so if you're, if yeah. you're replacing some mega bass rods, they gotta be pretty sweet.
3: Yeah, they're pretty nice. I really yeah. like them.
2: They're super light,
3: and they're pretty sensitive.
2: Yeah, well, when you uh get a little more settled in with them, we'll have to get you to jump on with the final cast guys and tell them all about them, because I know they haven't done one on that one. Yeah, I'd be down. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, uh, real quick little house cleaning, if the graphic got uploaded, and I don't think it did. I will find the information during the show, but, uh, just wanted to let everybody know that the paddle and fin trail event is up on tourney X, the one at Del hollow. And, uh, you can go ahead and get signed up. Got a bunch of great sponsors working on getting, uh, the rest of the small details out, like rates and camping and stuff like that down there at Eastport with Richard and the family. But, uh, we're looking forward to it as always. I know, uh, there's a, there's a good bit of the hosts coming down. I think most of us are going to try and fish the tournament this year because there's always a complaint that we didn't get to compete against y'all, and I never thought anybody would actually want to because we mostly suck. Um, all, all our best anglers at Paddle and Finn never show up. so We get to change that, though, because Garrett's pretty good at Del Hollow.
3: I can be hit or miss, uh, as we saw last year.
2: Yeah, he was hit, on, <laughs> he was hit and winning day one and yeah. missing and zeroed on day two, so he's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> we won't hold it against no, you this year that. though. <clears throat> but yeah, so uh kind of continuing our preseason uh show setup. Uh last week everybody uh we had Steve Owens on, director for Bassmasters National Trail Series, the whole kayak nation over there. Um if you haven't listened to that one, go back. Lots of cool information on that one. Uh some that had to do with the tournament world with them and some that just had to do with uh A-rig fishing. So some cool juice on that go check that out but to continue on this week we've got uh first time i've had him on been a long time since he's been on the show but the the man like the head honcho everybody knows him uh mr aj mchorter with the hobie bass open series what's up brother
4: what's up guys how are y'all doing this evening good good doing all right you want some dale hollow juice
3: this is the guy to go to
4: (laughs) uh i'm pretty uh miss or miss or hit every once in a while (laughs) Uh, it's a it's one of my favorite lakes in the entire country to be on uh it is one of those places that you just kind of get that funny feeling fishing you you never know the next cast could literally be the biggest smallmouth or even one of the biggest largemouth you've ever seen um and it's just a beautiful place and it can fish a lot of different ways um, so yeah, I, I enjoy being on Dale hollow, but sometimes Dale hollow doesn't enjoy me as well.
2: <laughs> I, I've never got the enjoyable part. Like I've the beauty part, I've got to see it at like drastically different elevations, really low, super flooded, different times of the year.
0: Mm-hmm. It's always
2: pretty, but that place and me just don't work well when it comes to fishing. And I, it's one of the places like I really, really try when I go, like, I don't like joke around and I just can't figure that place out. And I don't understand it. Like problem, Garrett told me what to do and I went where Garrett told me to go and do it and I still suck. Like and then you you ended up fishing there the next day and like did good in the tournament. <laughs> like I don't I don't understand.
4: That smallmouth fishing, man. I mean, they they can you know, largemouth too can move, but like smallmouth are are very finicky and like it's one of those things if you're on them on Friday, you cannot count on them on Saturday. Unless you're Adam Riser, unless and like you're in that same spot. Well, even Adam, I mean, he's yeah, he's had some some uh some days that he's not proud of out there. Um, oh, I'm sure. I, I think his most consistent pattern are are always green fish. Yeah, uh, but just because you know the smallmouth are the kind of that fool's gold, man. They draw you in, <sighs> and you might even have that one that you catch, and and it makes you keep chasing them all day, but. They can be such a pain in the tail, man. Um, but it's such a gamble, but but I love them so sometimes you know. But my best my best tournaments, um, on Dale Hollow, except for a old school bluegrass yak masters event many many years ago, there's a good story about that event. Uh, that Kurt Smits beat me on that right after he won the national championship. But um, nice, that was my smallmouth trip. Every other time out there that I've done good in a tournament has been really focusing on large mouth. And uh, from a tournament perspective, I mean, it's just, especially when conditions are tough, they're just a little bit more reliable. And, uh, you know, I love small mouth. I'll chase them. But <laughs> if there's money on the line, I'm going to go with it all reliable. That's right.
3: And I think well, that's how most of the ca-
4: checks get cashed out there is
3: on the on those green fish.
2: Yeah. And w- w- what's surprising to me about that is the um, the way the boat world has their their weird slot limit out there. It's Mm like, I've always thought that the smallmouth would play more in the, the kayak tournaments, but the, like AJ saying, they're just hard to get on out there and then hard to rely on when you do find them, you know?
4: But if you do, and it's a one day five fish tournament, you can blow it out of the water. And that we saw (laughs) that this year with the the Tennessee bass and the CTKA and the bluegrass Kayak angler combination, uh, old buddy just put them on it. And, uh, you know, I was, I mean, I did okay in that event, but I was not even in the same ballpark as he was. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, if you can get on them and find them, it's hard to compete with. And and so it's like that, that it's that home run ball, you know, that Hail Mary. Uh, so it, but it can be a feast or famine, but spring's a little different animal out there. And, you know, you guys are there at a really good time. If the water plays out, I mean, I, I'd love, I hope that my schedule plays out that I can maybe squeeze up there and, and, and be a part of that. It's a really cool event you guys do. And I appreciate it's an it. aw- awesome time of year uh, on, like I said, one of my favorite lakes. So um, just a couple hours away from, from the house. So hopefully uh, that weekend uh, presents itself. It's kind of April's nuts for tournaments this year. You got, yeah. you got um, Amen. so many, I mean, you know, we get this gift of five weekends in April, but it's like, everyone put all of their tournaments in that month. So it's just like, I think you know,
3: KBF literally is fishing every all five April yeah. or something, like, except for Easter. So it's like, yeah. yeah, that's stacking a lot. And, them we're, up.
4: and we're at the beginning and the end, probably two of our most regionally impactful events to the Southeast. And, uh, yeah. you know, kind of hitting those two lakes at a really good time frame. Uh, in my opinion, you know, it's similar to when we were at Santee last year and, um, on the first weekend of april but Mm -hmm. it's one of those times like any like if the weather's right and things are going that way like the week before it could be spectacular and then for us to go to Seminole at the end of april that's way different than we've ever been there before and i just think Mm -hmm. it's going to be a smash fest and there's going to be some awesome post spawners caught um which you know in, in the kayak world we love post spawn fish they're the same length, two pounds less. So (laughs) um, there are going to be a lot more gators out, uh, than February. But, uh, I think anybody that fishes in in the South understands that when gators are around the big bass are too. So, um, you know, if if you're not scared of gators, come on down to Seminole, it's going to be an awesome time. You'd be surprised how many people at gators actually turn away.
2: I didn't real, like, I don't know. I didn't real, I mean, yeah. Okay. 14 foot dinosaur with a lot of teeth i understand (laughs) but i really didn't think that it would sway people from fishing but i've had like in the last week three people told me like no i'm not going to seminole again there's just too many i was like what (laughs) like all right i I haven't done seminole i did lake fork they got plenty and i mean i live on wheeler wheeler's got them if you if you're getting back in the the backwaters like i do that's where they're all at uh (laughs) but Mm -hmm. well man we're kind of talking about your schedule so uh for anybody that's listening to this show that doesn't know you, which is probably no one, uh, give us a little rundown of, of who you are obviously with Hobie, but outside of that, because you know, you are, you're an angler too. You, you compete in tournaments when you can and everything. Um, but just tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: Oh yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm a Kentucky boy. Uh, I live in Tennessee now, but I gotta, go. I gotta throw Kentucky out there, uh, every chance I get. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to um, start a club with some great people in Kentucky. Um, I kind of get fuzzy on the details, but I want to say that it was around 12 years ago, um, maybe 11. And we started the bluegrass yak masters and it was at the time where, you know, clubs were just kind of popping off everywhere and there wasn't a whole lot of guidance and KBF had was starting to get going. Um, but like we were all using rules from an organization called cats down in Texas. So like Mm -hmm. when we were drawing up our rules, we were looking at cats uh, for as an an example of like what was right, wrong or indifferent. And so that was, but there was like seven of us guys and uh, we all met at a little restaurant in Lexington, Kentucky called Winchell's. And we sat there and we drew up how to uh, how we were going to draw, make this club. And, it was kind of really unique how it all came together because, you know, I kind of went out and selected these folks that we'd all fish together, but we had such a good group of folks that had different um, opportunities. Uh, We had a banker, we had a lawyer, we had a printer. Um, We had a couple guys that just had some time. We had some guys that were sponsored by other kayak brands. Uh, I was with Hobie, you know, and we all just kind of came together and we never really all saw eye to eye, but it kept us all kind of checked. And uh, we really put a good product out there for the boys in Kentucky. And uh, I'm really proud of what the Bluegrass Yak Masters were, uh, the guys that helped me get it to what it was, and then the evolution to the Bluegrass Kayak Anglers, uh, and now the club that's uh, being run today. Um, and, and really it was never about um, it being my club. It was about being like the state's club. Um, and it was—it really broke my heart when I kind of left this Kentucky and left the local grassroots opportunity that no one was willing to step up and uh and just continue it wasn't even do it what well, you just had to keep going and the thing about being a tournament director and, and everybody in this group knows it's the ultimate sacrifice and, and mm-hmm. you sacrifice your time and, and luckily on a club level it still allows us to compete with our friends and our guys but not every club is okay with that uh we're just fortunate in this part of the country that Um, these guys allow us and want us to fish with them Um, Mm -hmm. and that we have people that can help judge fish um, when we're out there trying to wear two hats. Um, But it's, it was, you know, one of those things and I'll never fault anybody for not wanting to be a tournament director because trust me, I understand why you might not want to. I just hated that Kentucky didn't have what it had, you know, and we grew every year. It was, you know, we'd have like five or six guys that, life changed. And then we'd have 10 to 15 new ones come in. Um, and it was just so fun. We had such a great time, um, doing that. And I'm so happy there's another club, uh, that's, that's really running with the name. I'm really proud of what, what those guys are doing. Um, and, in and grassroots tournament fishing and, and organizations are the lifeblood of our sport. So I, I don't know if you guys, you know, anybody watching, whenever you watch an award ceremony that we do for the BOS, if, if I've got an angler up there and they're sporting their Jersey for their local club or a hat, or I know who they're kind of affiliated with, I always give them an opportunity to promote their local club, because if it wasn't for the local clubs, the opportunities for BOS and bass and KBF on the high level, like it just doesn't exist um, because it takes an opportunity to get somebody into a kayak, comfortable with kayak fishing and then willing to, to, to go and invest the kind of money that you guys have to invest to, to be a traveling angler, uh, to fish these national events, even if you're just going to fish one, um, it's a, you know, anywhere from a 500, if you're lucky to a thousand plus dollar investment for one tournament. Um, and that's just a, that's just a lot of money. Um, that doesn't even count your boats or anything like that. So the grassroots are really, um, Mm -hmm. what keeps this thing going. And, uh, you know, there's so many good clubs here in Tennessee, um, that spread out all over the, the state and fish every body of water imaginable. Um, and you know, the guys up in Kentucky have a, have an awesome schedule this year. So, um, you know, that's kind of my hope. Um, you know, you said that I'm, I, I'm a tournament. I used to be, um, I really did. I was, uh, I qualified for the first, of the 10 with KBF. Um, I've, I've had some good finishes in the national championships and the opens, um, you know, I've won a few of the trail events, um, mostly in, you know, Kentucky and, and one in Alabama <laughs> where I just, I got on the luckiest ledge school of largemouth ever on Gunnersville, And, uh, it was like the most fun day of fishing I've ever had. It just happened to be in a tournament, but you know, I, uh, I don't get a chance to do that anymore. Um, and you know, I eat, every year I look at schedules and I'm like, man, I'd really like to go fish this <laughs> and go fish that. And I want to. Um, but you know, there, there's a, a line and I think uh, as much as I've judged and the perception of, of directors and that they remember every single spot that someone ever caught a fish on at every lake they've ever judged <laughs> um, is a, is a, isn't necessarily a reality, but it is a, it is a um, perception and a stereotype that is kind of hard to navigate if someone doesn't know you or trust you or anything like that. Um, and, it, it, and the last thing that I would ever want to do is put a black eye on an event um, because of something I did. Um, and, and so it's just it's kind of hard to, to straddle the fence um, right now. So I really appreciate the local stuff um, that, I you know, the Tennessee bass stuff is, you know, Steve and, and Daniel have just done an amazing job with that. It's like a national feel at a local lake, they have killed it. And then just all the local clubs here. And like, I can, one day I can go fish, uh, CTKA on Dale hollow. And the next weekend I can be fishing Norris. The next weekend I can be fishing chick. Like it's just, or reality is I, I look at everybody fishing all of those places every weekend and wish that I could. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a good thing down here. I do, I do have a couple events on that. I hope to make there is, um, uh, a tennessee bass on chickamauga i've got a a place um on chickamauga hopefully it's done uh, by then so i'd like to actually stay at my my place and uh (laughs) get fish the lake that um i fish like three times a year um but yeah i'm looking forward to that and then then, i'll see you out there on that one. there you go man it was a good i uh i'm kind of i don't i don't get to fish the championship on gunnersville um, I've got, um, that awesome sucks. plans that weekend and it just happened to be a bad weekend. And, uh, um, uh, I, I am upset about that because I was like, you know, if I do good at chick and I've got a. To- top 10 from dale then you know i might kind of mess around and like act like i might be in the running for angler of the year for a couple events uh just to keep just to keep things exciting (laughs) um you know because they've got that river event in the summer on the the, uh, french Um, broad yeah that one's gonna be fun and i'm i'm an old school river addict so like um my my start to kayak fishing was not tournament the
1: 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911, and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish.
4: it wasn't even lakes. It was literally floating down, um, Elkhorn Creek in central Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, floating down uh, green, green river, um, in South central Kentucky. Um, I kind of cut my teeth with my dad on a place called Stoner Creek in Bourbon County. And, um, that's, that's, those are places that are like near and dear to my heart. And, you know, then a group of guys and I, we used to go camp at new river, um, every, every summer and we'd spend a week there and, a kayak was always a vessel to get to the next smallmouth hole uh, for me, and so it. But it like evolved, and like I, I started kayak fishing. Um, actually, like I bought my first kayak. It was um, I was sixteen, um, hmm. and they were not fishing kayaks back then. I, my first boat was a sit inside. It was an Old Town Otter nine point eight. Actually, black, know what that is? <laughs> ten foot boat. Yeah. yeah, and I I used it one time. And I was like, no, I was like, that's horrible. Um, And it, that boat was never designed for what I was doing with it. Mm-hmm. But then I went and bought a sit on top and it had fishing in the name. It was like a Pelican something. And, yeah. and like, it was okay. But by then the guy that I like bought a boat with, it was like, he's like, nah, this isn't for me, man. So like I was a solo kayaker at 16 and just like, you know, it's a little intimidating and if you're, so I kind of got out of it for, um, a couple years and then, then, you know, got back in and I've never really looked back. My first like real fishing kayak was a, a perception pescador 10.0 is Fire, yeah, a good engine, boat. fire engine red man it was <laughs> yeah. red is my least favorite color and i had a red truck and a red kayak but i was getting after it uh and i i don't own red but my my i had you know it's it's funny that my like my two favorite things were red um but no that's kind of how i got started with it um you know and the, the club like took an opportunity for me to go fish smaller lakes and then the club grew and we had to go to bigger lakes and, you know, I'd been taking trips with friends with boats. So I was growing, you know, I was, I worked in the, the, the fishing industry from, uh, you know, from 19 till now. So, you know, I'd always had people that wanted to it's go fishing or, or had boats and um, I've kind of done it all on the the, the professional side. Um, but, you know, it's been fun to kind of be in the, the kayak specific and kayak fishing side for, an uh, uh, official capacity, ten years now, as a as a regional sales rep with Hobie and uh, in their marketing department, uh, as it pertains to BOS and some other stuff. That's
2: crazy, man. I, I, that's the first time I've got to hear like your backstory. I don't know if you know you've had it on any other shows, but that's uh, it's really cool that you were ate up with it, you know, way back. I mean, we always talk about like the OGs, and most of them are like, oh, you know, in twenty fifteen. Oh, uh, you you went back a little further than that, man. You've been in it for a hot minute.
4: Th- those guys, those OGs, though, like they were they were doing things before I even knew there were things. Some of those guys, um, yeah. You know, it's like you before there were like message boards and like before Facebook got like big. <laughs> it's like how how do you know what other people are doing unless you just like run into them somewhere? Um, and it's kind of crazy how all involved we are in what other people are doing now because of how technology and media has evolved. Um, but back then it was always like, what did you come up with on your own? What did you learn at a tackle store or what did you see when you were out on the water? Um, and you know, for me, I'm always in my own head a lot. So like I was, a, I was a Mm waiter, like I was, I was wading waters and I'm sitting here like thinking about the hole that I just fished an hour ago, but I'm like four holes up the river and I'm like man I really want to go back to that hole but like my truck's on the other side and so you're like you start thinking like what do I what can I do to help fish these holes better and then it's like well what can I do to bring an extra rod or three what can I do to bring more gear and so I turned into like a fanny pack angler that took two rods with me and like three bottles of water to you know putting stuff in a homemade crate in the back of my my sit on top and then like i'll be honest guys like i kind of like i liked it but it was like man, something's not right like i get this mm-hmm. boat i'm covering way more miles but i'm not catching the fish i used to And what i realized is like i changed my positioning of, of my fishing because i was floating downstream instead of fishing upstream and then I go, and so I'm like, man, there's just got to be a better way. And then, then I literally like within two weeks of me deciding that there's a better way, I walk into a, a local store in Lexington. They they don't sell home anymore, but they've been there forever. J and H Landmark, and mm-hmm. um, they had an Outback and a Pro Angler on the floor. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, oh my gosh, there it is. <laughs> hadn't ever seen one before. I hadn't seen Hank Parker doing his thing. Hadn't even seen Tim Farmer for the local guys in Kentucky. Seen them because I hadn't seen, I didn't know, and like I look at this drive, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it comes in and out. It's perfect for rivers and creeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, if you put one foot forward, these fins tuck up against the bottom of the hole. I was like, this boat is literally made for creek fishing. And that's literally the first thing I thought, and it's funny because that's the first thing I thought. But everybody I've ever talked to about a Hobie kayak, the first thing they say is, oh, you can't use that in shallow water. And so it's like it's been my Watch my me. lifelong yeah. career through Hobie to disprove the myth that this isn't something that can work on, on creeks and rivers. Now I understand that every river is different and that certain Hobies aren't ideal for certain situations. And I'm not saying that the best river boat ever uh, is, you know, 150 pounds with a hole in the middle of it. That's not what I'm saying. Um, But for me, I needed to face upstream and hold myself in current and still make the perfect cast. And that boat allowed me to do it. And then when I was done doing that, I could turn it around, float down river, pull the drive, grab my paddle, paddle through class two, class three, depending on which river I'm in and put the drive back in, eddy out, turn around, hit that next seam, And it completely mm-hmm. changed the way that I fished on rivers. Uh, it completely changed um, everything for me. It turned into um, a career uh, to, to be able to represent Hobie, um, and, and grow the sport under the Hobie name, uh, all because, you know, someone really was a rep that I met a rep at a boat show. Um, and that created a a life. I was working for backwater outfitters. They were there representing J and H and I went there and, uh, just, we talked on a slow Friday night and that turned into a lifelong friendship and a couple job opportunities. Um, and, uh, it's been a fun process Uh, it's evolved a lot. It's gone in directions I would have never imagined. Um, But at the end of the day, looking back on the beginnings and the path um, really allows me to appreciate uh, the road that I've been on. And I've been with a lot of people and and I'm very fortunate that I get to sit up here and um, I'm perceived as the face. But if it wasn't for so many other people along the way and currently my my right-hand man, Steve Fields, um, these things just wouldn't um, have come together the way that they have. And, and ultimately the support of Hobie all along the way and the support of the anglers is really why the BOS um, has the success that it does. Um, and, and I'm very grateful that, that people keep coming and, and showing up and wanting to uh, fish for more money on, on, you know, big uh, w- bodies of water that, that have amazing potential and, um sometimes gators but you know that's that's i kind of always looked at as a competitive angler i always looked at what do i want to be doing and i kind of feel like i've created something that is something that i wanted to do and wanted to be doing um and i and i and i'm very appreciative that other folks um saw it in a similar way that i and others have helped design it to be um and you know for a lot of people it's it's their favorite national trail and it's the one that they they put the most in and i you know as a, as a representative of the brand but also personally on a, just a personal man to man or man to uh, you know female angler like i couldn't appreciate the folks that ha, that go and invest in these series uh anymore uh it's amazing what i'll do time and time again once a month sometimes twice a month It's crazy. The things that some kayak anglers do now blow my mind. Like, like they're gone for two weeks and they don't have never slept in a bed the whole time. Like they're, (laughs) it's, it's, it's just sleeping in their
3: trucks and camping,
4: but they love it, man. And the passion that these people pour out is, uh, is what, you know, really motivates me when things get tough or when you get tired or, or, you know, start feeling burnout or anything like that. You roll up into an event and you see everybody and their smiles and, they're so dang happy, man. And it's just, that's intoxicating. And it's hard to, it's just hard to not want to do your best for people like that. For sure,
2: man. Like, and I
3: think you've done a good job with that. With, oh, well, we'll get into that later, but I think you've done a good job with that with some of the changes with the registration and stuff you've,
2: you guys have implemented this season. The... Yeah. Oh, uh, we'll, we're going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to let him, we're going to let him hit on all that. Figured we get all the fun stuff out and then we'll let him talk about all the changes. Yeah, but, really, uh,
4: loo- really loosen me up for you guys. hammer me down. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: So just because we're kind of already talking about it, tell us a little more, you know, where the Hobie BOS started, when and why you started it you know, through the opens and just what led to you continuing to just keep stepping it up the way you have just wherever you want to start with that.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, my first year with Hobie, um, and, and I, and I'm, it's all fuzzy cause I'm like 36 now, so I'm allowed to forget stuff, but like it was, it was like, it was my very first ICAST, which was a really popular industry show for kayaks. And I was meeting some of my marketing, um, colleagues um and i was just like hey guys like you know there's an opportunity for that and i was like pitching this event on kentucky lake back when kentucky lake was just smoking and fire and we and they were like okay okay so it all kind of came together last minute for the first one and it was called the hobie bass open and fun fest or something hobie bass open (laughs) yeah hobie bass open and fishing fun fest is what it was called uh and you should have kept that name yeah and there was well so it was a it was a full-on event man we had we had dealer support we had uh, two days of uh consumer demos at the beach at kentucky dam Marina. we had 30 anglers uh technically i think we had 29 but like three of the staff fished uh Mm -hmm. so we broke 30 but we didn't even market it it was like a really like a soft launch um so we kind of understood a little bit better and it's a good thing because we brought in a a hobie uh at the time a hobie friend but he was a saltwater judge um we were putting sd cards in ziploc bags and judging fish and that's how things were done back then there there weren't other opportunities um and you know it's funny because those 30 people you know you do like i think we did like three fish each day or something and it took like four hours to judge all these pictures (laughs) and so like it allowed us to evolve before we really even presented ourselves to the marketplace. And then like the next year we had like 70 something. The next year we had like hundred something and we did this for like four or five years. Once again, I'm a little fuzzy. Cause it all kind of blends in, but we, we got it up to, I want to say like 130 anglers. And you know, Hobie was really back then they were investing in a lot of, um, events and there were some, some great events out there. There was, um. The uh, oh my gosh, he's gonna kill me if he's watching this. Uh, is the uh, it was up on Saint Clair, and it was the, it's the gosh, it's like the Border City Classic, I think, is what they called it. But it was it was the first day of of the um, smallmouth opener in Canada um, on Lake Saint Clair. So like you can fish oh, wow. year round on the U.S. side, but it's like the fourth Saturday in April or fourth Saturday in June. Is the yeah. first day you're allowed to target smallmouth on Saint Clair? So they had a, a tournament there every year, and it was awesome. And Hobie supported that. One of my buddies, Rich Offner, ran that, um, but he was kind of looking to maybe change or do what. And there was a few other things, and we kind of just took like four events that first year that were already existing in the market, and we put them under our wing as the Hobie Bass Open Series, um, and we had a west coast event um that that was already going on there was uh, the border city classic there was the kentucky lake event we also went to um gunnersville that year uh in like october and then i'm trying to think of what the other event was oh so we we took over one of my great friends cody prather used to run the original Man. tournament of champions he was the last director and owner of it it went through a few different hands and plenty of drama but he was the last one and that was the annual event on uh like Fort the toc and and that was one of my favorite wow. events back then um i'm gonna kind of sidetrack real quick because that Go event was um a way that all the texas guys that like qualified fishing texas stuff all year they got all these other clubs from all over the country that qualified through their clubs to come down on like one of their lakes and, uh, either donate or, or win. And, uh, it was, it was like one of the first like real like conglomerates of a wide variety of people. Um, and, and it allowed you to kind of qualify just through your own club. Um, it was really, really cool. Uh, what that event was and it evolved and, it, it really I mean it could have been something spectacular the way that Cody was running it but he was he wanted to see kind of the TOC grow into something a little different and was like we're just going to let it kind of float into the the BOS and so we went to we went to Lake Fort. we had a west coast event we had Lake St. Clair we had Kentucky Lake and then we had Gunnersville. and those were the opens those are all two-day events um and and that first year we were trying to kind of figure out what the market really needed. And so we also ran 11 one day tournaments called satellites. Um, and we had satellites, we kind of partnered with local clubs or I ran a few of them that we strategically placed, but didn't have a local club. And fellas, let me tell you like those flopped. No one remembers how awful the satellites did. And like, it, it wasn't, um, it really it was tough to understand why because in most of them we were partnering with local club events and they were blowing out their numbers you know and we were like not even half of that and (laughs) i think we might have just been a little before our time on the old partnership between like clubs but i will give a big shout out the guys in colorado had our biggest satellite event that year and those guys um did a great job and it was one of the hardest things when we restructured the next year is that we knew that we couldn't really ever take the BOS back to that region because they just don't have the lakes um, and the size of, of lakes and the support um, outside of the anglers the support that we need when we go into an area to run an event yeah, um that makes sense. you know but we had we had events that year that only had like three people in them and the winner of every one of those satellite, event, satellite events went to the TOC that year um, on Lake Wachita in Arkansas. And um, so that's kind of how it all played together. And a little tie from that first year to this year is we did do a satellite event on the Harris Channel Lakes. I want to say we had like 25 people there. Uh, Jason Broach won it, but he caught a 25 and a half incher there. <laughs> God. Yeah, so I'm, donkeys. I'm, you know, there's, when you're judging fish and you see a 25 and a half incher uh, land on the board, uh, you just, you just take more time on that fish. You're just, you admire it. You take a step back. Um, but for it's anybody, that's an honor getting to judge that fish. I, I know <laughs> for anybody that ever wants to go back and do some history in the Hobie Bass Open, uh, all those events are on iAngler. So we use a tournament app called iAngler. Uh, iAngler is still used. It's still around. Uh, Michael Christopher owns it. He is an amazing uh, person. Uh, and, uh, you know, really appreciate him working with us because um, he stepped in. Um, we were ready to go to an app before Dwayne was ready for us to go to an app. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, you know, stepped in with iAngler for many years um, and then, you know, had to kind of take our opportunity to go to Tourney X when we did. Um, and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, Dwayne and I have a great relationship and he's done a tremendous amount for the sport with, 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 uh, you know, his involvement with Tony X and everything, uh, that he's done there. So, uh, but I will definitely, you know, with that, with going into the history, I can't really, uh, not give a shout out to Michael Christopher for what he's done. And, you know, as we went from that first season, the next year we realized that it, our bread and butter in this series is about putting on a show for two days and no matter where these anglers go they're going to get a hobie experience um you know and we in the early days we we had um you know we had we put pizza out there for every <laughs> event. we did um, yeah. a lot a lot of different things Sorry. um that's uh, yeah. all right man dogs are dogs sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, we did a lot of different things cause it was always, we always wanted to kind of focus the experience part of the event because, you know, currently, well, previously only 10% of the field goes home with money and, you know, maybe another 10 or 20% goes home with prizes. So what are you doing to the majority of the anglers to get them to come back and want to feel, motivated to come back. So we really put a lot of effort into that and really tried to make the events uh, as special as possible. And we did that by having, you know, a fairly large staff and having, you know, that personal feel that you felt like you're actually working with and communicating with and getting to know somebody with Hobie, um, which is kind of a cool thing from a from a branded, uh, you know, event series, you know, people see Hobie so many different ways so to get to interact with a representative of Hobie, you know, you, you hear about people's like childhood memories of sailing or, you know, how they got into kayak fishing because seeing Hank Parker, you know, just whatever someone's story is, they share that in those moments. So it was really cool. And we had a lot of people that came to these events that aren't competitive anglers. They just wanted to support what we were doing. And they, they had a passion for the brand and, um, you know, I think that was a really important part to our early numbers is the folks that really just showed up to support. They didn't show up because they had any thought that they were going to catch a single fish or even a limit. Um, and I think that was one of the most special things in the beginning is it, it really wasn't built around being a high level competition originally, especially with the single event on Kentucky Lake, it was more of a, of a get together that had some incentives, you know, world qualifications were a big part of the 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 event and in, in the series. So, people would travel from all over um really just to qualify for worlds, you know, everything else was a bonus. So, um that's really kind of how it got. Now, then, you know, once we decided that the two-day events were our thing, it was then just allowing me to to be strategic about where we went um time of year things like that and, and, developing the relationships with people, um, to, to get us there and, and, and help support the, the series, uh, in the ways that we as an organization need it to go to these places. And, um, you know, that's been kind of where we've gone and we've, we've evolved, we've changed our numbers a couple times. We've had one more or one less, um, you know, and, um, we came really close to having, a. 12 events this year i had three other events Gosh. lined up well we were going to kind of regionalize it um yeah but we just uh there was just a lot of things a lot of moving parts and we just decided to to keep the structure that we had and um you know then kind of evolve some of the the changes within the structure that we have and we landed with nine events and uh the toc so 10 10 events and then um new to hobie is our college series so That's kind of the hardest thing that I've ever done is, is to try to start a college series because you're literally building it from nothing. Yeah. There's like three (laughs) schools that are like, we want to do this. And you're like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, but you're actually going to show up. Right. And they're like, yeah. And man, these schools, these guys have shown up and blown it away, but it's just a few schools right now. So it's like, well, all right, we're in our second year. How do we get more schools involved? How do we take that next step? Um, and you know, this year we're gonna actually kind of have, some of the college events are gonna kind of coincide with um, the BOS event. So they're actually gonna be there too. And I think that's gonna help create more exposure for them. Uh, it's gonna allow some of them to, to fish both events where um, they, you know, maybe they wouldn't have been able to if their school needed them somewhere, you know, whatever the situation. Yeah. So right. we're, we're going to just like we did with the original start of this, we're going to continue to kind of evolve the college series to what it needs uh, for it to grow. Um, and it might not be that way next year and it probably won't be that way, you know, multiple years down the road. But uh, right now we need to kind of do some things that that pump some. Uh, some life into it and get more eyes on it and uh, hopefully get more schools out there. Because, you know, a lot of people don't realize these colleges, some of them have huge teams, but like only like eight of those dudes get to go and fish the tournament. Uh, yeah, there's only so, many boats, there's that only they so many boats. And so like, th- that's kind of the beauty about the, the kayak thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously we all know that it's less than a boat, but you know, you can put four of them on a trailer and all hop into a, explorer or or a truck and you know you you guys are going fishing you know and those are guys that that weren't before and you know some of these kids are getting scholarships to go kayak fish for a school it's crazy and and you know to feel like we can grow it into more is is something that we're really trying to do and hoping that that we can we can do Uh, you know, what we need to do to get it there because the schools that are in, big shout out to Campbellsville University in Kentucky and Carson Newman University in East Tennessee. They've done it. They've invested. They've bought in. Their anglers have bought in, and it's been amazing to watch them. I can't wait to see more uh, folks get involved at that age because that's always going to push more folks into what the opens are and what Mm -hmm. they're going to be. You know, a lot of people, you know, there you hear all this pro talk and things like that. And, and, you know, I, I've, I've, a lot of people have asked me about that. I've had plans for a pro series for years. I just don't think that we're really there to uh, sustain it right now. Um, And I think that, that we as a sport uh, have a long way to go. And that's not just anglers, that's organizations Um, until I can put, a few boats on the water and figure out how to record some people live and have an opportunity (laughs) to stream it. I'm not going to charge people thousands of dollars for entries and have huge payouts and have, you know, three day events with, you know, maybe two days of pre-fishing and, you know, random stuff like that. It's like, we have a lot of ideas, but I think the most important thing is we take it step by step, um, and try to grow in the right ways at the right time. Um, and let things grow around us too. And uh, uh, that's, you know, I'm not saying that we're ever going to have a pro series, but I think that one day there'll be an opportunity there, but I think it needs to be a pro series, not just a pro kayak series. And I think if folks know what professional means because we watch it and we look at it and I feel like, you know, once the money's there, once the anglers are at that point, once the organizations are at that point, I feel like there's going to be an opportunity for there to be some sort of of professional level. But you know <laughs> I, I, I that's a that's a whole new conversation that's like a yeah. like a having a um, like a uh, I
3: think, I think we're still like in the process of laying the foundation for something like that like I don't think
2: I, and, and stepping back to what you were saying with the college like that's another step to that it's just more exposure yeah. on a different level and something that you know, I think it's going to just kind of go with helping your college series continue to grow is like, there's guys out there doing the same pioneering to get this in high schools. Like Freddie Garza was doing mm-hmm. it down in Georgia, him and his wife. And, you know, it's appealing. Cause I mean, there's a lot of schools that can't afford, like my, my, one of my good friends is the captain of his kids fishing team. And they were like, you yeah, will pay for the jerseys, but that's it. So it's like, he's using his boat, like their fuel money, like, like, you know, and that is what keeps what I feel like keeps a lot of these smaller colleges or, you know, all the high, a lot of the high schools out of it. And, you know, giving them that opportunity where you can be like, no, look, you can just spend this two thousand dollars twice and, you know, you you can pass them go on or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I know they were having some success with that. And I, I think that's going to continue as long as there's people like Freddie and them down there and, you know, and you pushing it. And then I, th- I think that the, the college series, of, I think, could eventually, you know, be as crazy as, you know, the national kayak scene is right now. And and then maybe that helps, you know, bring the right eyes and the money needed to make that elite level. I've said it for years. I can say that now, finally, because I've been doing this for years. I've been saying it since the national thing has been really going crazy that I didn't think that it's ready for rain you know, in it like elite pro series or whatever. And it makes me happy to hear you say that because you're one of the people pioneering all of this. You people like you and Steve and Chad and, you know, don't you laugh? I hear, I hear you over there, Gary, don't laugh. (laughs) But I, 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 I'm glad to hear that, you know, is it on your mind? Yes. Is it something you're working towards? Yes. But, you know you're not there yet. You you know you're not jumping the gun on it. And I know that probably hurts some people's feelings because if you listen to the the masses of the kayak world, they're like, "Oh, we're ready. We're professionals. Well, we need, you know." <laughs> Just because you raise the entry doesn't change anything. Like the same amount of people are still watching. Like, but uh, yeah. no, that's yeah. it's, it's it's really cool that to hear the way it came about, man. Because I knew you know I knew about the satellites. I've been around long enough to know about the satellite events. And a couple of the opens. And it's just, it's crazy to see how it's evolved. And then it, there's been some huge jumps just in the last few years. That's, you know, if you take a step back and look back, it's just kind of crazy to think. Like I've, I've been doing this since 18, 17 or 18. And it was very, for me, still kind of grassrootsy feel. And then it was seemed like from 19 till now, it was just like, boom in your face kayak fishing is everywhere um
1: has it been whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies and weatherproof options to withstand the elements hunters have to wait until their favorite season but shouldn't wait on gear which is why midway Super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western.
2: i there, baby. Right there.
1: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint
2: TV. I mean, obviously, I know there's challenges. Has it, with the just the natural growth of kayak fishing in general, was the, the progress of Hobie kind of just easy or was it just always a struggle
4: um I think the timing was perfect um for one I mean you know I think you know I I think there was a huge opportunity for another kind of player to come in to the scene uh when we did and Mm -hmm. uh there was a lot of support for another group uh coming in um and so that that was a good timing for us but then you know what kind of hurt is our second year or third year um you know covid hit but really you know everyone looks at how co- the covid had a real i'm not going to say it had a positive impact but we were able to evolve what we did and the anglers were still super supportive of that and so Ish. we had drive through check-ins and we only that year we only missed because of the way the schedule played out and the way like the What'd they call it like a lockdown or something, yeah, you know, and so, and all that. so, like, you know, for two months, we only missed one tournament. Um, and we were supposed to have a, a Lake Erie uh tournament in Erie, Pennsylvania, and yeah, you know, we didn't end up going back there ever again, but we kind of subbed in a, a Susquehanna like in the summer. And we announced it with three weeks and we had 117 people show up with three weeks notice. And like, but we, we, we restructured everything in our our series. And I think that was when we realized that it's people come, not just because of what we do like pizza and stuff like that. They come because they really want to, they want to get away. They want to go fishing. They want to go to bucket list fisheries. And I think that's kind of part of the evolution of why we're kind of, Realizing, okay, to most people now, this is a very ser- serious tournament series, and it's not coming for hangout and pizza on Friday night anymore. <laughs> um now i'm a big fan of the pizza nights you know i'd I'd get like three or four extra boxes myself that would feed me the rest of the tournament weekend so i'm gonna have to figure out what i'm gonna do uh yeah that's probably
3: the most controversial change you guys have made this year is no pizza
4: come on
2: which i'm gonna side note there if that's the most controversial change you're doing just fine if everybody's caught up on pizza The rest of it is perfect.
4: (laughs) Well, you know, it kind of was a tough thing because like these, some of our host communities were always sad to hear that we do pizza on Friday nights because it takes away 200 people going and eating in their town. And like, we'd have people that would come like more and more. There was like, all right, there was like 10 boxes left and 20 boxes left. And like, we were trying to give pizza away. And like, there'd be some people that walk out on Friday night with like five boxes of pizza um and and like that's great and it's cool for them and i really appreciate them helping us take that but more and more people are wanting to get out of these meetings and go to the local um, bar the grill or this restaurant they'd heard about that they haven't got and that's really what bringing people into communities all about is allowing them to um you know and support the community this community's invested into us a lot of these places, um, you know, kind of roll out red carpets for us and because we're a big deal when we come into town. And, um, you know, when 20 guys have a table in the middle of a Mexican restaurant and you fall Alabama, you know, people take notice of that. And like there's, you know, people listen and learn. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's an opportunity for us to continue to make an impact on, on new people or communities that, you know, have a lot to say about. our 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 anglers and the people that represent our sport so uh, i think overall and for us you know this year we're just we're going to be down some staff members at events so that was one thing that was like really like okay well how do we manage that and do this and do that so that was kind of an easy thing for us to to navigate through especially with how much leftover pizza there was last year and they always be like aj get less get less and and i do not (laughs) buy less pizza like I'm a all right. So how does there a box for every person? That's like that's and then I start dwindling down from there. But yeah, it just became something that like that didn't seem seem to be as important as it once was. Yeah, I right. mean,
3: And anytime I go travel to somewhere, I always am on like a side quest to find the, the best eateries, man. Like, can, that's
2: like I could do a whole wings other wings podcast after. segment like eating from different places around the country. So yeah. we're we're starting to to run short on your time because I know you got a game to get to, but let's uh let's touch on a little bit. bit. We got
4: a little bit of time. You know those nine bit. o'clock basketball games they always yeah. start a little late anyway. So. All right.
2: <laughs> well, I'm sure th- this will give us plenty of time because the uh, so everybody listening to this already knows that you and Hobie as an organization announced some some changes for the upcoming season. Uh, we already had Steve to uh, come on with Bassmaster to kind of talk about these changes and like how well y'all work together. And, you know, him taking over and them kind of following suit and, you know, a lot of areas. But I want your, you know, your take on why some of these rule changes are implemented. And Garrett, I'll let you take it away. If if you want to ask any certain ones or if AJ just wants to run over them all, I'm sure Garrett's got it pulled up. Yeah, I've got them all listed here, but um, I do
4: I do better when I'm asked about specific questions. That's like a normal <laughs> tournament director thing. You gotta yeah, exactly ask me what you need. Um so we got
3: I mean, we already went over the pizza, so that's obviously a big
2: I mean I feel like there'd be a little more debate there. I'm sure I could strum up a guest real quick that'd be like, What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> uh
3: so we got wait list option now. Um
4: Well, yeah. So while you're kind of looking for your first like rule question, I I want one of the biggest things for us, like, you know, most people before last year didn't realize that we had a max capacity of 200 anglers. So, you know, we do that Mm because go back to the angler experience, uh, aspect of it. And I've had the opportunity to fish a few kayak fishing tournaments that had way more than 200 anglers in it. And in my experience was pretty awful. Um, not just off the water, but on it as well. Um, Applications didn't work the way they needed to. Cell was issues. Driving was yeah. issues. Ramps was issues. Um, nothing happened quick. Like it was, they were very challenging and frustrating experiences. Um, and so I just kind of felt like there doesn't need to be more than two hundred. But you know, I've never run a tournament with two hundred people in it before. So it's like, well, that's just a kind of an arbitrary number that I'm just pulling out of my my mind there. So. That's one of the reasons we went to 225 this year is because 200 worked. There weren't yeah. a lot of issues with 200, so let's Isn't take like a step. Crowd the
3: lake and stuff,
4: and most of our lakes can accommodate it pretty well. But there's always going to yeah. be. I mean, you can have a tournament with 50 dudes on it, and you're going to have ramps that you're going to be like, "Why is everybody here?" Like, yeah. Why, why are you all here? Is everyone here? Is this a, is this a shot? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that doesn't, you know, people are always going to put in at certain places and, and, you know, so, but, but either way we wanted to upgrade that just a little bit, just to, you know, kind of grow a little bit and you know our host communities love that. Hobie likes to see us grow. Um, and, you know, we wanted to put more people in our events if possible. So we went to 225 then we changed the, um, you know the the cost a little bit. So every year we've raised our price uh, of the opens from 200. Now we're at 295. So we've gone up 20 to 30 dollars every year. This is the first year people have mentioned it um, that I've noticed. So it's kind of interesting because it's like, is it because we got that close to 300, or is it just because it just happened to be a 30 dollar delta? But even like seeing some people post, like they didn't realize that our entry fees were 265 last year. They were complaining about how expensive we were, but they didn't come to a single event last year. And the last time they fished a tournament was like 200 bucks. So, you know, yeah. what we allow ourselves to do there is we put a little bit more money back in the TOC um, mm-hmm. and we're paying out more. So we're paying out, um, it's either 15 or 20 more dollars a person in the event. Awesome. And we switched to 15% instead of 10%. So what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to keep the high end of our entry fees high, but instead of just paying out 20 people in a 200 person event, we're paying out 30 people. So 30 people are going to go in with money instead of 20 people. So, and and no one's going to feel like, man, like I do not really win that much money. Like we've all fished some of the other events where like they pay out really far and you're like, Oh, cool. I got like $5, Above my, I got lunch for battery. tomorrow. or something. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. and so like that's never been my intention, and, and it's not going to be that this year as well. So so we're paying out more people, uh, we're building the TOC a little bit more, and and uh, that was one of the big. But also, with the entry fee being a little higher, and changing our refund policy, kind of made people more accountable for their investment. Um, we'll still refund your money uh, within two weeks of the event. It's seventy percent. No matter what, if you have paid your entry and you request a refund, you can get 70% uh, of it back, but that's like 95 something dollars or whatever. So yeah, like, do you just want to, you know, so w- what happened last year is a lot of people were entering hoping they could go. And that was yeah. taking away spots from people that could go. And by the time they dropped out, I was like two weeks out, one week out. And these people that were on 60 person wait lists um, were unavailable and so we sold out all these events that never had 200 people show up so it was kind of a really disheartening way you know because it's really high and everyone sees it a certain way and you have this big excitement on uh registration day but then yeah. on tournament day you're like oh where's the other 40 people and that, so... that
3: happened to me uh last year i tried to register for that chickamauga event and uh So I got called into a meeting at work, like right when registration opened and I was like, oh man, I missed it. So I got on the wait list and then by the time it came back around out, I think it was a couple weeks out and I had already made plans with my wife that weekend. So,
4: yeah. And that's not, that's not the intent. And that was never, you know, a lot of people think that like we sold out Toledo Bend in 20 seconds last year and we sold out Santee Cooper and, you know, less than a minute. You know, that's not what happened last year toledo bend stayed open for like i don't know 10 11 days and then we opened up santee cooper and it was open for three days but like once toledo bend like it kind of hit like 170 and then people were like hey hey it's about to sell out it's about to sell and people like what sell out and then all of a sudden like in day it was just gone and then santee kind of had the same thing going on because it was like you know around 100 and then people started talking about selling out and it was like 140 160 gone it was just like that and it was <laughs> yeah. kind of crazy so it was like oh we need to change how we do this so we went yeah. back and we're like all right we're gonna have registration dates for each event and we just kind of put it together in the moment and it kind of worked but we wanted to allow ourselves to kind of change that a little bit and you know it's funny because there's a lot of speculation about the florida event not being sold out yet and for me that's awesome like it's awesome there were three people that registered like in soon. the last three yep. days, and like we're we're about to hit 140, and like we don't need our events to hit 225 to be considered a success. The host community is so excited about the numbers that we're bringing. It's the largest kayak event that's ever been there. Um, our average needs to be uh, for us to kind of hit certain goals for the TOC. We want to average around 150, and I feel like if we had go anything above 150 in our first event, we're well on our way. We haven't gone to Florida ever for a reason. Florida is really far to get to if you're not from Florida. And even if you're in Florida, there's places that are not that close to where we're going. And, um, you know, a big part of our tournament series are people that travel five, six, seven States away. And so if you go even further away, it makes it challenging for them. So despite everybody's desire to want to fish Florida in the winter, um you know it, it, it can be just challenging to get there especially when you're looking at a full tournament season because you have to take that many more days on the front and back end so you know it's not a by no means is us not selling out a, a, a failure it's a it seems like a lot of the things that we've done with the registration process have worked and until the last day to register which i want to say is february 10th you can register to that date um so if you are on the fence or you were in a meeting or you missed the opening time, you can still get in. If you decide like, Oh, all right, my buddies are going and I can go now. Or, you know, your weekend plans change, you can still get in. So like, that's the idea of it. It's an open and we want it to be open for everybody. There's nothing more disheartening when I get a a, a DM or something. It's like, someone's like, Hey man, I really want to come fish the tournament. You know, can I come? And it's like, no, we're sold out, but you can get on a wait list. No, that person was ready to go. They were excited, and I'm going to put them on an arbitrary list that, like, they can't even see. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things that um, – now, I don't know how the rest of the events are going to go. Um, Santee Cooper, um, Seminole, Cato, and Bissino, there's just no talent. Um, you know, you if you know you want to go at noon, uh, that day that it opens, you probably ought to register. Um, but – hopefully um you know it doesn't sell out in five minutes or 10 minutes every time and uh it sits open for a, a couple weeks and uh I people kind of decide
2: I, I yeah. think your, your move with the registration with the um you know your refund policy is going to help it's a it's a phenomenon my wife always tells me I have called FOMO fear of missing out <laughs> which is and I thought that from after the first one that I saw sell out, and then like you said, not everybody showed up. I was like, well, right there. I mean, people just didn't want to not be able to say that they made it in the registration, you know? They. So I, I think that your your refund policy probably will help cur- curb. I mean, I think you'll still easily hit your two hundred anglers. You know, I don't think that's going to be a problem, but I I think maybe it'll slow down the chaos to that point.
4: Yeah, I mean, we only hit 200 and had 200 in tournaments, I think two times last year, but we sold out five events. So, like, (laughs) it's kind of wild to think about, but it obviously needed some work, and it got rid of the inner first, figure it out later kind of mentality, and um, hopefully that allows more specific people. And then, you know, the other thing that we wanted to do is, you know, we let – Our TOC anglers register early. So they were able to register for any event they wanted to um, during the first week. Um, And so there's already people in some of these events. And then after, um, well, before the seminal registration, what we're going to do, we're going to take the top 35 in our angler of the year race and give them a 24 hour window to register before the rush, too. So folks that are performing well don't have to worry about missing that and that was one of the things that i felt the most last year is people that won an event you know they didn't know they were going to support the series until they won that event and the next two events were sold out for them and so instead of like really having a shot at angle of the year they really just won an event and it's like, well, that's not really how that's supposed to go. Um, And so, you know, and it's not perfect. We'll evolve this structure as it makes sense. You know, I'd really like to have a way where before the season starts, I could take, you know, a $50 buy-in to AOI. And those people are committing to four events and I give them a password and they can go sign up to any four events that they want. Um, but right now our, our structure and our systems don't really have an easy system for that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, but that's kind of the direction we want to go. And if you know, you want to com- you know, commit to four or five events with us, we should have a way for you to do that before noon on the day that registration goes out. But like we were talking about earlier, things have to evolve and we have to be, it's not just the anglers. And I know people want to blame the anglers, but it's, organizations and people and staff technology some of and technology yeah, yeah and all, some of that stuff has to evolve too to allow us to do the things that we want to do and and sometimes there's unforeseen setbacks um and you know as as an organization or as a director anytime you have an unforeseen setback the biggest thing that you want to do is never to let those things uh trickle down to the anglers you know like that's your goal mm-hmm. as a tournament director is to never let the other 180 people see what happened between these two um, mm-hmm. you want to handle yeah. it you want, you don't want it to change their thoughts of the event. So um, you know, when we have stuff that we've got to handle or, or that restructure within uh, an organization things like that, you know, we don't want that stuff to be felt. And so that's the, that's, but that's the kind of the stuff that we're working through this year and um, you know, having to kind of work with a little bit.
2: Sweet. Well, uh, Garrett, what's your, uh, what's your first question?
3: Uh, well, this one has to do with the off limits periods. So you guys are going to off limits periods, uh, three weeks out or 21 days. I think it's how it's worded.
4: Really? Um, We did that? Yeah. (laughs) That's in the rules.
3: No, I didn't see that in there.
4: (laughs) So, yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest things that we've heard, um, You know, and and, and so prior to this year, we didn't have any off limits. We had like guide rules and stuff like that. But part of it is like we didn't have any off limits. And so a part of kind of evolving a little bit saying, okay, well, you don't get to go every week for three weeks or every weekend for three weeks. There's there's a period of time that the lake is essentially off limits. Um, Whether that makes a difference or not, we'll, we'll see this year. But essentially what it is, it's a 14-day period that you can't fish before the seven-day practice window. And in our rules, we use the term practice period. Um, And so 90% of the people, what they think is that everyone's going to show up and practice for seven days. Um, But the way that really reads and the way that I believe our anglers will use that is more of a window. Um, And I think the reason, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, it should be three days or it should be four days or two days. Well, the thing is, is my three days might be different than your three days. And, yeah. and that's the difference in our series and our sport. And it is an open level. Then we're really, you know, kind of trying to accommodate for those people. I know a lot of people that their only time pre-fishing our events is the one or two days of the previous weekend. And yeah. if that weekend is out, they don't have an opportunity to fish, um, you know, and, and, and so that's one of the big things for us is that previous weekend needed to be a part of it um, based on the feedback that we received from our anglers uh, or a lot of our anglers. And the, the thing about it is now that there, now there are limitations on that weekend. Um, last year, you could roll up to the lake on that Saturday or Sunday in a bass boat and mm-hmm. mark stuff. Well, now you can't do that. So yeah. really, that's kind of putting more restrictions in, but it's a seven-day period. You know, I feel like there might be time down the road where we evaluate a smaller period, but I feel like that weekend before is an extremely important weekend uh, for our anglers to to be able to.
1: Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
4: Navigate a season full of tournaments um, and things like that. You know, if you have a tournament close to you, two to four hours, you might run and go do that on the weekend before but not take off time the week of so you can use that time for an event that's 10 hours away. Um, So it's just the balance. And, you know, we, we're an open series. I mean, we get some folks that literally pull their camper and they they take their wife and their dog and they, they camp out and they fish three hours on Saturday and then it's raining on Sunday. So they just hang out in the camper and then they fish a couple hours on Monday and then they really give it a a big effort on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then they rest a little bit on Thursday, And it's like, that's the only event they're going to fish all year that's what it's like special experience demands. for them and well, it is just... and, and this in order for us to have 200 225 anglers it we kind of need to have all those folks and in yeah. order for somebody to go home with a ten thousand dollar check there needs to be people that are okay losing 295 um and having those people there and making sure that we're accommodating their desire to invest in coming to fish a kayak tournament uh the way that it works for them um is is important and, it, and it's part of the way that the first evolution of a practice period or a off limits period it made it to that point. Um, yeah. so, and, and
2: I, I think that what you just said really is going is the case because like for me, I, I've actually never fished a Hobie mostly because the for the last three years the schedule has just never worked for me. But I've always had the thought in my mind, like, you know, it, it happened to me in a KBF event last year. Like people were fishing in Florida a month before I even got there and gave it my three days of practice. And I don't know. It just starts to go in your head. Like, I, I mean, I can't beat somebody that can be on the water for a month before the event. I mean, I, I could figure it out in a month for sure. So, you know, that it, I didn't feel like it was a level playing field and this off limits period, like really speaks to me like, okay, sure. They've got tons more experience on the water than I do. But I mean, now, now, that week, during those weather scenarios, we all have the same time, and I mean, there's not really a lot of outside variables to that. It's like we're we're all going to be on that same time punch. Like this is your yeah. time. This is all you've got. So now, like you know, now that's got me like refired up for it. Like okay. <laughs> I'll probably still suck, but now I'll at least try. Yeah, like. There's a lot of places. If you give me a month, I probably still couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Dale Hollow for this guy right here.
4: <laughs> and sometimes more time hurts people. Um, you know, I've had anglers yeah, say, Oh, I wish I didn't spend so much time on the water. If I'd have just fished a couple days, I wouldn't have, um, you know, messed with my mind so much or mess with my fish so much. And, you know, I think there's a lot of variables there. And is this the perfect solution? No, but it's the first step. And, and I yeah. think that's the biggest thing for people to understand to go from no practice rules or off limits to, uh, to like a, a very tight window is a really drastic change that impacts more people than, than, uh, I think most folks realize. And so, um, you know, let's, let's take a step before we take a, a huge leap, um, in some scenarios. And and I think this was a worthy effort for us. And, uh we'll see how it plays out. And I think the biggest thing is like once again, it's not a required seven day practice period. I would say very few people at very few of our locations will fish every single day in that practice period. Um You'll be wore out by the tournament it, if you it, do that. You know, and a lot of those people take off the last day or two when they do. They yeah, they, mm-hmm. and then and so like that's a good thing. You're getting people off of the water on those last days when all the extra people come in. So I think really spreading it out is a, is a really good thing. Uh, and I think people won't feel that as much, but I will say, if you've never fished a Hobie tournament, there are countless, um, examples of people that have showed up and only pre-fished on Friday and won the tournament. Um, and some of those were in paddle kayaks. So like, don't just be intimidated out of the gate like you still got to catch them on friday on saturday and sunday and whatever someone did the days before that can only help or hurt them on saturday or sunday but they don't put them in the boat so um you know it's it's my favorite thing when someone on the stage is like yeah i showed up on friday and found a little (laughs) thing and now they're holding, you know, $10,000 check. So I'm th- we, really cool. we had,
2: we had a number of those last year that we'd followed on, you know, you know, on this show doing the tournament recap and there was a, I couldn't tell you what month, but me and Dan, it was four weeks in a row. Nobody we had on the show first, second and third place had pre-fished or ever been there before. Like it was nuts all over the country. Guys just one and done in it. Like insane. I am not that lucky, but <laughs> yeah. it's maybe it's someday impressive. you gotta keep, keep pushing. I know. I, yeah. I gotta, I gotta get rid of a bunch of these other hobbies is what it is. I gotta put yeah. more time on the water. <laughs> well, uh, what, what you got next, Garrett, uh, on down your questions. So
3: then after that you got, um, pre-approved, you don't move into pre-approved launches or like a set list of launches that you can use on a body of water let me see how it's actually
4: working yeah well it, it kind of allows us to control pretty much however we want to present the places you have to fish from is kind of how it reads essentially what yeah. we're going to do is we're going to have a, a list and hopefully a google map if i can figure out how to do it um it pretty much is a link and you can and you, or you're going to know the 10 or 40 or however many places on that particular body of water that we have deemed as a is a public and usable launch for the series. And, you know, the big thing for that, one of the biggest things for that is a safety thing. Um, yeah. And, and and it allows us to kind of know where people are. It doesn't put someone in a vulnerable position for trespassing or anything like that. And, you know, and, and our anglers, I mean, there's been some incredible stories of, you know, pulling a, a pro angler through a – you know, a, a whatever. That's a great story, but it, it it's not that, that probably shouldn't be the deal in this thing. Yeah. And, I, and I, and I, and I think that um I think there was a lot of gray in that. And I think anglers were allowed to exploit the gray um, at times. And we were understanding of that based on how the words were written. But I think that as it grows, as the money gets higher, having a better um, kind of, constant uh for the competitors is a really important desire for us and it's a little more work on the front end but i mean i don't think people realize under, really understand how many times people are like hey is this spot legal or hey is this spot legal and yeah. it's like you know probably like not. it's tiring <laughs> answering all this <those laughs> um so i mean even on the is.
2: local level you're like yeah. oh my god I mean, I've thought about
3: doing that for some of our events because of how many questions I get. I'm just like, God, I'm just going to put out a list and you can only use those.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and so, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that are disappointed in that just because they think that they've got their honey hole slide in on their home lake Mm -hmm. and, like, that's cool for practice. That's cool for um, your local events. That's cool for anything. But when we're bringing the big show to the area... um, That's not the game for that. It's just a little different. If you want to go fish an area, you're going to have to launch at the closest legal launch for it.
3: Um, And make the sacrifice, uh, making the
2: run to get to it. Something I talked about with with Steve is like, there's a lot of misconception. Mm -hmm. People just think right out of the gate, you're going to give them like four boat ramps. Like you're going to pull up to Pickwick and be like, all right, here's four. Good luck. And I'm like, somebody (sighs) actually was like, man, you think they'll only have like five? And I was like, you're serious you think someone's going to put 200 kayak guys on five boat ramps, like on a smaller body? No, like they've thought about this. Like, <laughs>
3: so that, like, that kind of brings up a question. I was had, or I thought of like, uh, so how far out are you posting or do you only send it to the anglers that register? Or no, it... So
4: the whole theory on this and, and a lot of other tournament anglers have reached out or tournament directors have reached out and they're like, man, we will help you with lists when you come to the state we'll start a collection of, of these things. Yeah. So, and part of it right now is gathering the data and putting it together. Um, Vinny over at Queen City has been doing it for years. He's a master at it. I've been leaning on Vinny a little bit with it and uh, he, he's great on that. So, um, we'll have the Florida launches probably up today or tomorrow or not. to Well, I don't know when this is going to air, but hopefully this week, um, you know, so, but in theory, we want to have our launches uh, published in the event page with all the other uh details um so it's just there and it's available um but it's not i mean it it gives you that information but the reality is those places are there like they're already there like it's not like you're gonna be like oh that place is allowed like it's gonna be commonly known spots so like if you're gonna go practice on an area before the off-limits period it isn't necessarily like it's not the end-all be-all that you're aware of what that list is but our goal is to get it out sooner. Um, it's just a lot of things happened crazy quick with the Florida event. Um, and so it just hasn't come together yet. But our but we already have the list for uh, Santee uh, for, since Vinny does that. I've already got half the list for Caddo and Bistano, Um, And then we'll have Seminole before too long, too. So we plan on having the list out before the event goes live. But, um, yeah. you know, realistically, uh, we're probably – going to have uh, the Florida event uh, a little later just because it, it happened so quick this year.
2: Yeah. So something I, I wish I could name the program right now. I have a buddy that's a GIS major and uh, his company has the software that he can make. He, he's made like apps. He's done it for our local club where like you were talking about needing Google maps, you know, like doing something with Google maps, like this little thing just pulls up an app that literally you can just click on. In, like yeah, a lot say, of those are on, like, on a, the TWRA sites and stuff like that. Yeah. And he he makes them for our state for, for kayak fishing. And it you pull up, it shows the event, you click on the event, you click launch, and then it can go through and everyone you click opens you up a Google goes to a Google map. You can do your overlays and it's uh r- really
4: cool. So there's definitely the tech there for it. S- send me information.
2: I'll I will <laughs> get you in touch with him and he can tell because I couldn't even remember but it is a sick little program.
3: Like some of those lists are going to be pretty long for what you are have yeah. to. Well, you, like, and,
4: you know, I don't think. I don't know if you can
3: see that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see right that's that's Kentucky Lake. Yeah, and apparently. there might be
4: some people that are not happy about boundaries and stuff on that lake uh, this time around. So we'll dive in on that when it when the, that event comes out. But I just feel like yeah. you know the other part of, of this event is safety and, and accountability. So. You know having anglers at least in an area together or knowing that you saw so and so at a ramp um it's it's a good thing and it's not a bad thing um uh, when no one's n- never seen so and so and they still haven't seen him and he hasn't checked out and all that stuff like it's it it becomes a um you know a safety and a liability thing that we're trying to tighten up a little bit and then you know we invest on putting them of of you know media boat on the water and like we want to get people's pictures and we want to get people's yeah. stories and um can't do that like...
2: when you're in six inches of water 15 miles away <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: the
2: no i think i mean something. i think on top of everything you said that it's going to help i think it's going to take out a bunch of the the speculation like you can't be like oh he was up so and so no nope. Nope, he kicked your ass on the same body of water you were on this time. Buddy. Well,
4: and if he was up so and so, he launched right next to you and got there. So, like, if that's <laughs> the deal, you know, like that's the thing. And so,
3: like, you, you just put in more work than you did. What...
4: And, you know, I think, I think it's easy to, um, you know, pinpoint certain things that have happened in the last year. But as tournament directors on the national scale, we've been dealing with some of this stuff for years and we've been trying to figure out what the balance of it was and the direction and the timing of it. And I think some things just came to a head mixed with the overall like numbers. And we were like, you know, if we all kind of take this approach together, it will help us all eliminate some of the things that have been challenging for us Mm. as directors. Um, And it's not just one person and it's not just one body of water and it's not just this or that. It's not just one organization. These are things that have been occurring in kayak fishing for a really long time, whether they were right, wrong, or indifferent. And like we we're trying to make things better as we can. And if people are going to complain about one thing, you know, be careful about complaining about the solution to it, you know? So. Yeah,
3: that makes sense uh like well it. do you got time for any other ones or
4: well you know it's getting kind of close to tip off cats at mandy yeah. but i feel like i feel like if you want to hit a couple more questions i mean one of the biggest things that i've seen is the um communication and stuff um yeah, you know that was was i was gonna say if, if,
2: if we if we hit on one more that's the one i'd hit on yeah
4: you know and, and we'll we'll read the rules so it says during the tournament hours of each day which is first launch to fishing concludes so essentially you have like an eight and a half hour window that this applies eight and a half hours. Contestants may not share information about locating or catching fish on tournament waters. So you just can't share information during eight and a half hours of tournament day while you're fishing, while the tournament's going on, you cannot share information. Even if somebody is next to you, it's not a phone call. It's not a, you can say it, but you can't call it in general. You cannot share information during that time frame. And you know, we have some of the best and caring and giving anglers in our sport that you could ever imagine. And we have people in the TOC that didn't even know each other. They're like, Hey bud, go on that bank over there and throw this, whatever. I I, I'm not culling anymore. You know, it's like, (laughs) that's awesome. But is that necessarily like how a competition needs to play out? Um, And, you know, we decided that, you know, and there's been a lot of things that have, have been, talked about and spoken about. And I feel like a lot of folks really wanted to, um, you know, eliminate some of the side chatter, whether it's in good tension, good intention, or whether it's designed uh, to be kind of, let's go do this together type thing. Um, I'm not here to speculate on what the intentions are, but if you can, you can go out there during eight hours (laughs) and you can do your thing and you can talk to your buddy the night before that's in the tournament and you can talk to them the night in between and you can share notes if you have to, if that's your game. But for eight and a half hours, it's you and the information that you have applying it to that body of water. So that's that one rule. The other rule is during the tournament hours of each day, which is first launch to fishing concludes an electronic device may not be used to speak to anyone about tournament waters, fishing strategies, techniques, et cetera. Uh, and then it goes in to say the device can still be used as a means of communication to BOS staff, social media updates, safety checks, ride coordination, and, or work and family emergencies or urgent matters. So on that note, if you're talking to your dad and your dad's like, Hey man, you know, the wind's coming, uh, you know, pick up that spinner bait, you know, yeah. like that's not allowed. Um, your dad's just being a good dad. You know, he's, And he didn't need to tell you that he's been telling you that for 30 years. So, you know, you, you just need, you just need to kind of handle it yourself for that eight and a half hours. Now, outside of that eight and a half hours, you can do your thing. Now, if your dad calls and says, Hey man, you know, mom, mom is still at the grocery store. I'm worried sick about her. And he calls you first, then you can pick it up and be like, all right, dad, you know, just drive up there and check on mom, you know, whatever it is you need to say. Or if your wife wants to call and check on you, like, that's yeah. okay, but do you need to be on the phone for your wife for 30, 40, 50 minutes? Do you need to accidentally be like, well, the, the fishing's not doing that? She's like, well, throw that little pink net rig thing I like, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and so, like, you don't you – don't, those are things that don't need to be happening. And so, like, yeah. it's not taking away the opportunity to communicate. It's taking away the opportunity to gain a competitive advantage through communication outside of the tournament. Um, so that's really what the, the goal of that was. Um, and, and sometimes that stuff's not necessarily a competitive advantage. It's just, um, it can be a distraction too, but, and it can really help, you know, and if he picks up that pink Ned rig thing and throws it for the next 45 minutes, he might not catch any fish, but if he'd have kept throwing that jig, like he knew he was going to catch them on, then he's going to get that one more fish. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you just never know, but ultimately we're just trying to eliminate the unnecessary sharing of information, both from people inside the tournament and outside the tournament. Um, these aren't uncommon rules in competitive fishing. They're just now in ours. Um, yeah. So uh, I think once people read it and understand it, and then if they need clarification, that's what we're here for. And, you know, we don't want to ruin someone's experience. We don't want to get them in trouble with their dad or their wife or whatever. But, you know, it's like it's just eight and a half hours, and if you, and it's an emergency uh, you can still talk to them. And, and like, if you rode to a tournament with your buddy and y'all are sharing the same trailer and you put in at the same ramp and your buddy goes up the creek and you go out the creek, now y'all can't talk in the middle of the day and be like, hey, man, they're up in the head of this creek. Come on up here. Or, hey, man, I'm catching them on a wacky worm or whatever like that. But if you need to be like, hey, man, I'm getting off the water. I'm leaving. You can meet me at the ramp or, you know, I'll come pick you up, you know. That's ride coordination. We want yeah. the anglers to be able to do that, but you can't be like, hey man, you know, I didn't catch them on this, I didn't catch them on that, I didn't catch them on that, I didn't catch them on that. Uh I caught one fish on this, and I'm gonna go ahead and leave now. You know, like there's a difference. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's just trying to avoid the unnecessary sharing of information during tournament hours that affects can affect the outcome in that eight and a half hours of time on the water.
2: No, and I, I like it. I don't, I mean, a lot of people that have a problem with it. Like maybe you've never watched any of the bass fishing on TV before. You ever noticed that those guys yeah. aren't calling each other, asking for help? Like, yeah, they're, they're pretty sure. Um, of yeah, yeah. They don't you know, check I mean, their social media. They, um, yeah. It's and those guys can
4: talk on the water and sometimes they'll like say, Hey man, you know, and, and, and like, I think there's, there's a balance and we might, we maybe we went too far on the, on the water. Um, but I think it's a, it's really, you know, I think it's really easy to have a good hard line. And say this mm-hmm. is what we expect. And there's not an a, a scenario that it's okay and a scenario that's not. You just can't share information on tournament waters during the eight and a half hour tournament. And
2: there's and there's ways, I don't I don't mean ways around it like exploiting it, but like you could roll up on somebody and you can there could be nonverbal cues where you're obviously having a bad day, they're obviously not, and they just kind of roll out and you're like, Okay, cool, appreciate it. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's
4: well and you roll up on somebody and you see that they're throwing um you know whatever they're throwing like and then they catch fish Well, like okay well now you know that in that area they're catching you know it's like th- there are things like that out there but yep. it's it's a hey bud come on over here you know and it's a throw the spinner bait right up on the weed edges you know it's like that kind of stuff it's if, if you if you're if someone sees it, if someone you know applies it, that's one thing. But the direct communication and sharing of information is just something we wanted to really kind of get ahead of before it got any more out of line than it's perceived to be.
3: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: I think you've done a good job, man. I, th- I think y'all. I think it's hey, and here's a the deal, guys.
4: No one, you know, rules. When rules change, people don't like them. I mean, that's just how it is. They ask for it. They beg for it. Then they see it and they're like, Oh, hell no. You know? And it's like, it's, it's it's crazy. And I've been one of those anglers and I get it. I've begged for things not to change. You know, I've just never understood this or never, you know, and it's like, well, okay, now we're all just fishing within the same boundary. It doesn't really matter that much. And if it bothers you that much, then maybe you were doing something that bothered a lot of other people. And so like, that's (laughs) something to kind of consider and, you know, and maybe you were doing something that people didn't were turned off about the sport of because of, and so, you know, those are the things that we're trying to work through. And, and uh, you know, like I said, we, we change our rules every year. It's just this year, we had some, some bigger ones and people made a big fuss or made big excitement about it. And, and, um, that's okay. You know, we had to have something to talk about the last month and a half, but we, you know, we just, (laughs) every year the NFL changes the rules. Everybody changes rules every year and sports evolve. Um, and we're in an evolving process and these rules are going to come and some of them are going to go. And, um, hopefully people are here for it and ready to see it through and understand that our attempt and our desires through it. And, um you know we'll we'll step back and we'll see if it was right or wrong or not and uh you know we'll continue to make changes and and hopefully they're all going the right direction because ultimately this is an incredible sport and we love our series and we want to share it with as many people as possible and uh that's really the goal of everything we do it's not to take away your little honey hole slide it's to make this thing is accommodating to as many people as possible so we can all have a big time and a fair competition um
2: And to circle back around, guys, this is how we get to an elite series in this. This is is what everybody wants. These are the kind of changes that have to happen. Somebody has to take the step forward to see if it works.
4: And And to that point, these are very, very uh, relaxed and intermediate rules. If you want to go read some rules, go look at the Bass Opens and go look at the Bass Elites. And yeah. know that they have rules about scuba diving. They have rules about helicopters flying yeah, over. Yeah, you them. can't fly
3: around over the, like, the area or
4: something like that. There, and you know, those are rules because someone did it. Yep. Like someone <laughs> did it, and like we have rules because someone did it. Like there, you know, there's people who've been around a long time. They're like, oh, that's the that's the Scotch rule, and that's the this rule, and that's the Drew yeah. rule, and that's the you know whatever rule. And at the end of the day, like those people didn't break rules, but we've evolved the sport because of things that they did do. It doesn't make them a bad person. It just, Mm-mm. you know, means that we, we use that example to try to work on improving our, our, uh, our sport. And, uh, you know, w- sometimes we learn, uh, or we can apply things prior and sometimes we have to, uh, wait till something happens to apply, but you know, that's all, that's all we're doing.
2: Well, man, I, I think it's going to be a great year. And I, I think that, yeah, y'all are doing a great job and the changes are I don't think it's gonna hurt your attendance at all. I think that you'll still have the killer following and you know, I, I think it's gonna be a great year again. Um just from talking to Steve, we know that there's gonna be a bunch of similarities in in these rule changes across the board. So I, I think kayak fishing is just gonna have a badass twenty twenty three. And uh I know we've ran over a little bit longer, but I'm so glad that, uh, we was able to get you on finally, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you letting you, uh, you know, talk about the, talk about you for sure. I love, I mean, honestly, my favorite part is just hearing where it came from, you know, how long you've been involved in the whole kayak fishing world. And, you know, one of the real G's here, really? Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think that's a, a, a testament to why you run the, that series so well, or that series has ran so well is, you've been in it for a while you didn't just hop in and say i want to run a tournament like you've you knew what you wanted out of a tournament because you fish tournaments like you'd know it yeah understand it kind of from every level every progression of it too
4: yeah guys i mean i feel really blessed to have the opportunities that i had in the kayak in the fishing industry prior to that i mean i've run boat tournaments i've sat there and bumped fish on a golden rule and put them in a basket and you know wrote weights on the board and you know penalize guys for not dropping their poker chip in the coffee tin and on time you know like the perspective on that kind of stuff is really valuable um and and you know i can most people want me to come in and talk about tournament stuff or specifically bos i really appreciate you guys having the opportunity to, for me to share kind of the beginnings of that stuff because that's the stuff that um i don't really get to talk about as much most people don't really care about what happened 10 <laughs> yeah. 11 years ago but that's the kind of stuff that paved the way for the day and the stuff that I love and I'm passionate about and the people that helped me uh, and helped this sport along the way. Um, and I just really feel fortunate for for the way things kind of came together and all the support. And I want to thank guys like yourselves that give folks like me and Steve and other guys and girls in this sport a platform to share their story and share their stuff like that. You know, everyone's like, oh, it's another podcast or, you know, whatever, everyone's doing the <laughs> podcast. But those are opportunities for people, and you guys are, are – given sacrificing your time to hear what other people have to say and to share their story with others. And, uh, you know, that's, that's awesome guys. And I appreciate it. And if uh, I'm happy, so do we, to, come, man. I happy do. to come on anytime yeah, I that. Uh, you guys, you guys want, uh, want me to come on for sure.
2: Sure, man. I'm, I'm sure like, uh, we're changing up a little bit of the direction and you know, how we do things getting a little more detailed in our, our little niche of the podcasting world. And you know, I've, I've already got things wrote down to hit you up later in the year for updates and talk about some of your events going into championship time. And, uh, I always keep, you know, part of our shows paying attention to the the tournaments all around the country. So if I see your name pop up on some of the, uh, Bass Nation stuff, I'll, (laughs) I'll have you on to talk about whipping everybody's ass on the water. So, (laughs) well, man, I appreciate it. Get, get to the, get to the game. I know you're ready to go. I appreciate it again so much. And, uh, you know, good luck this year, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you again soon.
4: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it y'all. Yeah, go cats. <laughs> oh God. <Yeah. laughs>
0: All right,
2: we'll see. Ya. All see ya. right, see you. <laughs> awesome show.
0: That was really That's good. good
2: that that was everything I was hoping to get out of that show. I, I wanted to know more about AJ before just him, get, you know, having the spill spill info on Hobie, you know, the BOS series um because you can kind of go anywhere and get most of that information he's he's very versed in it you can he does really good captains meetings really good tournament coverage you know he he covers it so everybody knows about that side of it so it was cool to talk yeah, about the other stuff g- before we get to the 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 nitty gritty <laughs> yeah
3: he's definitely got a uh a, a very diverse background I feel like in tournament fishing and just kayak fishing and it goes back further than I mean before I was even thinking of fishing in a kayak that he was already
2: out there kind of pioneering. Yeah, he was already miles ahead, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, and that I knew I wanted to talk to him even more. I got to meet him uh, in person. We've talked on the phone a few times about other stuff, you know, dealing with Hobie and, you know, shop stuff. Um, yeah. But he, uh, you know, for anybody listening that's in, in the Tennessee, Alabama, you know, general area, Uh, coming up february 3rd 4th and 5th they have the the uh tennessee boat and fishing expo in lebanon tennessee Mm -hmm. and uh i met him there last year he came and worked we had a big hobie booth set up he came and worked that with us and i actually sat down and ate lunch with him and i was like oh wow there's a lot more to this guy than just you (laughs) know i run a tournament tournament series yeah (laughs) and uh you know shame on me for not thinking that that was the case but you hold when you see these people, especially on that level, you hold them up to like a different level. It's like you're talking to kind of like to a celebrity, kind of. But uh, no, and ever since then, I was like, okay, when I will find a, a dead moment in his busy life that we can, you know, give him a chance <laughs> to talk about where he came from and what it took to make the Hobie Open, Hobie Bos, you know, what it is. And I, I still I think him and Steve. Steve's running Bassmaster, AJ's running mm-hmm. Hobie. They're great friends. I think that's going to give that bump up to Bassmaster that it needs to get that sour taste out of everybody's mouth, as Steve said. Yeah. And then working together, it is. It's going to be like watching, the, you know, the bass and the FLW, you know, back in the day. It's pick your great poison and do them both, much. you know, like do your thing. And who knows? I remember that there was some talk that Boyd Duckett and MLF or, you know, Dabbled it around and interested. I haven't heard anything else from it, but we have a couple standout years with these two guys running these huge series. And I'm sure it would, and not you know, chance to make money. That's the way it'll yeah. get looked at. Chance to exp- for well, exposure. I'm
3: pretty sure they had an FLW kayak event all, like a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, KBF was partnered with FLW before yeah. MLF bought it out, and they had a pro series that was the FLW Cup. Um, yeah. Our very own Brian Schiller fished in it a couple times. Uh, he did, he did okay. Um, he's a, he's a good angler. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, you got anything to add to it? I still, I don't have tournament results. Tourney X is still down. I guess I'm gonna have to give Dwayne a call. Um, Tourney X is working, but the way uh, we get all the information for our tournaments is you go into the archive tournament tab and that's not pulling up. So I can't, you know, fish through the tournaments in a, you know, no, in American I expect order. you to go through every single one that happens. Well, you <laughs> are going to be sadly disappointed when it doesn't happen. So, but uh, yeah, anything else to hit on the show or any, any thoughts or anything towards what we've talked about?
3: I, I don't know. I really appreciate what AJ is doing for the sport of kayak fishing and keeping, pushing it forward. And like, I mean, over the last decade, he's been doing that, so. Yeah, it's great having him on and getting to hear how oh, yeah. that's progressed over progressed over the last twelve. Well,
2: hopefully, uh, I hope he gets to. Maybe we can swing a swing a hole in the schedule and he can pop in at the paddle and fin event on Del Hollow. It'd be fun. Have yeah, him out so there. He can take more money. <laughs> in a perfect world, I'd love to see because Riser fishes it every year. If there's no schedule conflicts, yeah. And so, thus far, there hasn't been. Riser usually does good. Um, I think he's won two of them because I know he won the first one with a giant smallmouth, And then he won the second one that he won the kayak in. Um, it struggled
3: a little bit this past year. Mm Hmm.
2: Um, but we're going to give everybody else a chance, (laughs) but I'd love to see AJ and, and riser and Russ Russ has, uh, signed up before it before, but he like messed his neck up or something and couldn't, couldn't fish with us. But uh, I hope he gets out there. Um, so if, if you don't have anything going on, I've actually real quick before we get off here, I pulled it up to share it. If it's still there. Yep. Here I'm going to do a little screen share here. So for everybody that's checking us out on YouTube right now, uh, the graphic is up and you can see it. I'll read it off. So the Del hollow open April 22nd and 23rd. It's a hundred dollar entry fee, which includes a big bass. Um it's on Tourney X. We got a bunch of great sponsors, dubro Fishing, uh, Pelican Cases and Coolers, Dark Horse Tackle, Pine Ridge Archery, Yak Gadget, Ace Adventure Resort, Douglas Spin Cast, uh, and the biggest one, the the host, Eastport Marina. Um, Richard and the the guys out there, the they're you know, they put us up in the really nice barn. They're
0: and we have we,
2: we we do a pretty I would say high level venue for um for it to be a you know smaller I mean, I'd say smaller scale event, you know, every year the numbers are getting better. It's, uh, yeah. Tennessee's got a busy fishing schedule. So we've been trying to work into it to make it more appealing and esports a little bit out of the way, but it, it's a fun event, man. We feed you. We, um, uh, Hey, we actually, we did pizza. So since AJ's not doing pizza anymore, yeah, we're the place I to get pizza at the tournament. <laughs> we got giveaways. We do big checks, uh, live music, uh, beer. You know, we have, a we got the kegs rolling around at the, maybe at the that was my end. problem. The first
3: day I had a few too many of those. And then, the <laughs> yeah, I think,
2: day. I think we were doing like a dollar a piece. I can't remember, but it yeah. was <laughs> a very affordable, very cold beer. So, yeah, well, we hope to see everybody there. We thank everybody again for this episode. Uh, this is probably going to close it out for the director stuff. We do have a new show aired on the panel Infant network called the director's cut. And he'll be doing a lot of the, uh, tournament directors from around the country, but being that we are the tournament show, uh, I kind of feel like that it takes priority that me and you get to talk to Steve and Chad and, uh, AJ, uh, we hadn't yeah. got to have Chad on yet. Um, we came back from break and the time just didn't really uh, add up, but we'll try to get Chad on at some point this, uh, this season to talk about yeah. KBF and the changes and how he's doing, you know, relocating to Huntsville and he's my neighbor now. So, uh, <laughs> Got a lot of big things happening all at once. Oh, yeah. Tons of stuff. But, uh, yeah, well, I think next week we should have the winners on from the KBF Trail Series in uh, Polk County, Florida. Awesome. Um, And then the week after that, we'll probably have the 10 winners on. So a couple great shows coming up. Hope everything works out. Uh, We thank everybody for being with us, and we hope everybody comes back and listens to the next one. Yeah, we'll see you there. (laughs) Heck, yeah. So we'll see you next time, everybody. Peace.
1: search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv
0: i'm will cooper host of hunt
1: stands make your mark podcast if you haven't already download the free waypoint tv app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from hunt stand presents anywhere anytime and on any device